Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm really excited to welcome Angela Kimball, who's the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Public Policy at Inseparable, to talk about how this initiative is working to close the gap on access to critical mental health services. Angela, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Sam. Thanks so much for having me here today. I think this conversation could not happen at a better time. I know as a parent, we're starting to think about kids going back to school and the summer's wrapping up. And then here at I'm Hip, we are talking about behavioral health all this quarter. Um, as everyone knows, Medicaid is the largest payer of behavioral health care services in Illinois. And so, you know, this naturally fits and Medicaid covers nearly a third of children in Illinois. So this just really fits into our wheelhouse. And, and what we want to talk about is, you know, addressing mental health needs, sort of how you guys are, are, are doing that. And if you could just start by laying the groundwork on the background of Inseparable and the work you're doing and the progress you've had so far, and, and just let us know about Inseparable. Sure. Thanks so much for that, Sam. So Inseparable is a growing coalition of people from across the country who really share a common goal of improving mental health policy to take care of ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities. And we launched in 2020, and we're growing rapidly. We're making a difference. And that's really so important because so many people, as you know, are hurting. And our founder and president, Bill Smith, uh, likes to say, no one's worst day should stop them from living their best life. Those are such incredible words to live by. And he, he found it inseparable to really bring a campaign style sense of urgency to passing state laws and federal laws that are really going to help address our country's mental health crisis. Um, and this spring uh, in February, we launched uh, America's School Mental Health Report Card. So we have formed a coalition called the Hopeful Futures Campaign that's focused on one of our core areas, which is school mental health. We released the school mental health report card, and it really outlines what state lawmakers can do to really increase the availability and scope of mental health services so our kids can get the help that they need. And then once we launched that report card, we, we chose a handful of states to work in to pass laws. Uh, so we were able to pass a law in the state of Alabama that puts a school mental health services coordinator in every school district. Uh, a trio of bills in Delaware that are increasing ratios of school mental health professionals, putting K through 12 mental health education in place and supporting uh, annual well-being checks uh, under insurance plans. And of course, we worked in Illinois, and, and we're so grateful uh, because Illinois did some fabulous work on well-being checks this year. You guys have just been so busy. And I love that because it's we're really at a time, or at least it feels like we're, you know, we can't wait any longer. And I just thought, you know, as you were we're talking, Angela, you guys started in 2020 and how fortuitous, because as everyone now knows, our, um, our society, but especially our kids 
really went through some of the most challenging times. Um, and we continue to sort of live in this upheaval. Um, and so it's really amazing how much you guys have already started to do in such a short period of time. And you teed up, of course, you know, that inseparable and that creating of the school well-being check program here in Illinois. Can we dive a little bit deeper into that and what that means for families and what that means for kids going back to school in, depending on the school district, a few weeks or maybe you're lucky and you get the full month? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think it's really helpful to kind of think back and, and look at like the data we've got. So we know from research that half of all lifetime mental health conditions occur by age 14, 75% by age 24. So people don't think about it, but mental health conditions typically start early in life. And when we look at the data that we have from youth um, in 2019, which is before the pandemic, Sam, 18.8% of high school students had seriously considered attempting suicide in 2019 and nearly one in 11 had actually made an attempt. So when we think about how vulnerable our kids are and then layering on the pandemic and all the isolation and upheaval, economic distress, everything, our, our students are really struggling. And I think a lot of people don't know that schools are the second most common place that youth like ages 12 to 17 get mental health services. Yes, yet most schools don't have the resources they need to actually do that um, and meet the demand. Um, it really, schools are one of the most effective approaches to get youth the help that they need because it's meeting them where they're at. Um, yet, so many students go without treatment, even students who have like severe mental health uh, conditions, like major depression. And I mean, that can lead to tragedy. Uh, but at the very least, uh, when people don't get the help that they need early, their conditions usually get worse and they get harder to treat. And just think about it. You often get co-occurring substance use disorders and other conditions. And, and frankly, I think that's why Medicaid staff uh, that we spoke to in Illinois talk so compellingly about the number of calls that they get uh, for students who are in crisis and about how much better it would be if we could reach youth earlier who might be struggling and, and be able to offer support to them and their parents and teachers before things get to a bad place. And, and really with that, HB 4343 was born. So I, it was wonderful because Illinois has, has great leaders who really wanted to do the right thing by parents and youth and schools. And so really looking around thought that having a program that would offer well-being checks to students in grades 7 through 12 would be really um a great opportunity to try and offer support early. And, and that was just a wonderful experience to, to work collectively in the state to create that kind of program. I love that. And I, and I'll, 
as you're sitting there, and I'm so grateful you ended on these well-being checks and what they mean for families, because all I could think of is that idea of one in 11 adolescents actually attempting suicide. And I, as a mom, I'm just thinking my, you know, I have two, two boys, but my one son who's in school, um, you know, he has 11 friends, right? I mean, and, and so the idea that in that group, adolescent, I mean, that's such a small pool of kids and it's heartbreaking. And it's, I'm so grateful that, that inseparable rather than just being terrified by those statistics, looked around and thought, what can we do? Where can we push for programmatic changes? And and thankfully, um, Illinois was one of those states. And this idea of this well-being check in schools, again, where these adolescent kids, they spend the bulk of their time in schools. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what is a well-being check program? Like, I mean, what does that look like for those seven grade to 12th grade kids? What does that look like? And I'm sure it, it varies by school. It, it can vary by school district. Um, and really, there are different ways to do a well-being check. And I think one of the reasons that language was particularly used is because you can have a mental health screening where you're looking for problems, but you can also look for students who have strengths, um, who are actually doing well and can help mentor others. So the idea is uh using various tools that can really help you get a better sense of who's doing well and who might be struggling. And I think one thing that's important to understand is that a well-being check or any kind of mental health screening is not a diagnosis. It's really just a system signal, if you will. (laughs) It's a signal of that somebody may or may not be doing well. And can we reach out? Is there a conversation we can have with families, with the youth, uh, with teachers, and really help everybody get on the same page so that we're lifting up all of our youth and letting them know they're not alone? Thank you so much, Angel. I I love that, that well-being check versus, you know, a a mental health screening. And, And I like to think of it almost like taking a temperature, right? Like it doesn't tell you necessarily, um, you know, is it the flu or that you were just outside in, you know, a hundred degree weather, um, and that your body, you know, walking your body temperature is just a little elevated. Um, but it is the beginning of the conversation and it starts sort of for those adolescents, especially those younger kids, um, like seventh and eighth graders start to really think proactively about their mental well-being as well. And I think another great thing about this is we know there's a lot of youth out there who are worried about their own classmates, their friends, their peers. And they really want us as adults to step up to the plate and and make sure everybody's okay. And this is one of the ways that we can be those grownups, that we can reach out and try and make sure everybody gets that level of support that they need. I absolutely. And, and that's our role, right? Like as the, the grownups, the adults in the room, it is our job to help take care of the kids and it, it, you know, removing that stress from other youth feeling like there's no one to turn to, and there's no process um, or really safety net for their friends. Um, we, we really need to, as adults, remove that burden from our youth and, and really take it on as our responsibility. 
to dive a little deeper into the work you guys do. I love this on your website. You talk about demanding a mental health care system that there that's there for everyone by eliminating the treatment gap and ensuring comprehensive school mental health, like we just talked about and decriminalizing mental health while expanding the crisis response. I just, I, I, I love, I love that. And can you talk a little bit? So we've talked about the school piece and I, it's just the first step. I'm sure there's more, but what you are seeing here in Illinois and, um, and, and across the country, I mean, you guys have a really unique lens. Thanks, Sam. That's actually really important too, because uh, we're focused on closing the treatment gap and expanding crisis response services because we want to see fewer people ending up in jails or on the streets or frankly, even in emergency departments. And that means we need to make sure that people have the kind of coverage for mental health care that they need and deserve, and that they have access to the kind of crisis services uh, that are going to get them on a path of recovery. So one of the most significant barriers is really a lack of equivalent health insurance coverage or, or parity. And uh, frankly, I admire Illinois for this because uh, Illinois passed HB 2595 um, last year. And that does something really important. And just to backtrack, I'll say that, you know, there's a federal mental health parity law from 2008. And it reduced, but it didn't really eliminate the inequities in mental health coverage by insurance plans. And as a result, there's still people who are denied mental health and substance use care when they need it the most. And when care by clinicians is denied by their insurance company, you know, people end up often without getting the, the very treatment that could save their life or at least get them on a path of recovery. So uh, I think it was Representative Deb Conroy and Senator Laura Fine um, who helped champion this legislation that passed in Illinois that requires plans to basically put patients' interests ahead of their own financial interests by making the decisions on whether to pay for recommended treatment to be consistent with generally accepted standards of care. So that's a long sort of wonky term, but really what it means is we assume that our health insurance plans are using medical guidelines to inform what they decide to cover. And what we have found is that isn't always the case. That actually needs to be in the law that you have to follow what's called generally accepted standards of care. Otherwise, plans can just say no, and you have no recourse. So that was an important step that Illinois took, and, and forget, uh, Georgia uh, copied <laughs> Illinois just this year and passed a similar law. So I think there are more and more states that are seeing that that is a challenge that needs to be addressed. So um, it's it's wonderful that Illinois has that awareness and that leadership to actually make those kinds of changes. And then on a, another note, um, we find that across the country, uh, too many people are being jailed uh, because of their mental health or substance use symptoms. So what we're really looking for is a system of crisis response. 
And that system, uh, thanks to 988, which is a three-digit national suicide and crisis lifeline number that just went live nationwide on July 16th. So a 988 crisis response system is really designed to connect people to trained crisis counselors who can provide supportive services, you know, by phone, by text, by chat. And our shorthand for that is really someone to talk to. And the second component, because sometimes just having someone to talk to isn't enough, we have to have mobile crisis teams for people who need an in-person response. And that's someone to come to you. And then finally, there's going to be people who need more services like crisis stabilization and need those other options. And my shorthand for that is a place to heal. So we're, we're really looking around the country at what various states are doing. And we plan to issue a report card, kind of like what we did for school mental health services that are focused on what are states doing for 988 crisis response systems. Um, I know that Illinois passed a law last year, HB 2784, that kind of established uh, expectations for crisis response systems. I think there was an additional $5 million this year uh, for crisis uh, call centers and crisis response services. But honestly, what we're seeing around the country is that crisis response systems have not been built and funded everywhere to the level that people expect and need. So there's really a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's it's not easy work. Uh, it's challenging work. And we're at a time and place, as you mentioned earlier, where so many people are struggling. So there's really a need to build that kind of capacity. And I'm just hopeful that, that Illinois <laughs> is gearing up to fight that fight. So much to unpack there, Angela. And and I think that really just typifies how much is going on in the behavioral health space and what we've seen. And so, you know, on legislation around parity and, um, you know, I think it's important to know, and we always say it's the first step, right? Like to say that you have coverage doesn't make providers appear, (laughs) you know, to say that um, you have a service doesn't mean that the providers who've been practicing for decades know about that new added service. There's all, and, and, you know, especially when we think of behavior health, we know just like there are um, implicit bias with regards to race, there's implicit bias with regards to mental health and behavioral health services. And so how do we make sure that we're moving beyond parity, which we've done here in Illinois, we are a real parity leader. And a lot of that work um, has been done collaboratively uh, with our providers, with the plans and the state. But how do we move beyond um, the piece on the health plans and make sure that the system and the space that a patient truly navigates meets their needs? Because sometimes we're seeing we've done a lot of great work and, you know, on Um, you know, reporting around parity and really making sure that everyone knows what is expected. Because I believe firmly in part, because I spent so much time with plans that like they want to comply. They want to be in compliance, but 
it's so tricky and it's so nuanced. And so what are the expectations? How do they meet those? And so now we've done a lot of work around that. I think what we need to, and, and as you started talking about towards the end, take that next step of, okay, we need crisis response. Well, what does that look like, right? Like, how do we invest in the providers? How do we make sure that we um, have high quality providers that are supported, that we're funding them with the resources they need so that they can serve the members in crisis? And so it's such a nuanced and you know complex conversation. And it's one where a single bill is never enough because it's, not just how a health plan reports on parity. It's what is the provider landscape? Where, you know, and, and as we talk about this a lot these days, workforce shortages, where can we um, make sure that if there are no behavioral health providers or there are very few or there aren't, they aren't bilingual or they don't serve children or some, or they won't take Medicaid. Um, how do we tackle that next? And then the next stage is how do we make sure people know about it? And that's what we're starting to, you know, to do with 988. It's wonderful. I mean, it is amazing that we have a national mental health crisis hotline, uh, 988. But if people don't know about it, it doesn't help someone. And so I think that's what I love about your complex answer there, because it's, it's so many steps to improve the system overall. That was so beautifully stated, Sam. <laughs> so perfect. And you're right that there's it is complicated, but I think the really key piece is simply making forward movement. And sometimes it's a step at a time, sometimes it's a giant leap forward. But altogether, I feel like there is really a sea change happening in the mental health field. And people are finally really aware that this is something we need to tackle. And I think, Angela, that is a perfect place to end. It is uplifting and motivating, and there's more work to be done, but we're focused on it, we're talking about it, and we're making forward progress. Progress over perfection, my friends. That has been my motto all year um, and probably into next year. Angela, thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I'd love to have you back to talk more about what you guys are doing in the future. Thank you. It's been a delight, Sam. Thanks again so much for this great conversation. Absolutely. And to our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.net. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam Says. And as always, thank you for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.